Xfinity Mobile is a new kind of network designed to save you money while streaming your favorite music, like that 90s jams playlist you've played 72 times today. It combines America's largest, most reliable 4G LTE with the most Wi-Fi hotspots. Get up to five lines of unlimited nationwide talk and text included with your Xfinity internet at no extra cost. All you pay for is data. Visit an Xfinity store or click now to see how much you can save with Xfinity Mobile. Restrictions apply. Requires Xfinity internet service, equipment, taxes, fees, and other charges extra. Limited to two lines pending internet activation. Blog Talk Radio. All right, it's 12.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on May 19th, a Friday. It's Chris, Miami Six Man, here with Melissa Paris to tell her story uh, in Scientology. But before that, uh, let's go ahead and start. Well, before that, let's go ahead and start. Come get some extra very live right now. If I speak for your followers and I speak for your ex-followers and I speak for the curious outsiders looking in, and you remain silent in the shadows and don't let your balls drop enough to come out and say something, then I say, who do you speak for, Mr. Miscavige? Anything on earth that says, don't listen to your mom and dad, don't talk to your mom and dad, that bad, yeah. run. Absolutely believe his own bullshit. Now, does that mean he believed it from day one? I don't know. Hubbard reveals to them that he is the Antichrist. Scientology has not helped you. You have helped yourself. Yes, I'm absolutely positive that happened because I was physically abused in Scientology. Who crossing the line into torture? My Appreciate favorite, it. though. Am I? You're my favorite. Well, thank you yeah. so much. I, 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 put me on the e-meter and ask me the question, and the meter would float. All right, there you go. That's my new intro. You like it? I love it. Ah, it's too loud. <laughs> uh, it's a little long, but, you know, it is what it is. Welcome to the show, Melissa. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so so let's, let's just go ahead and, and catch people up with how we got here to this live show today. Um, I contacted you for the first time two weeks ago. It feels like it's been three months. I know. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. We did an interview, and I don't want to say this interview had anything to do with it, but your rise out of eminity, if I say that right, into releasing the Kraken has been pretty vast and fast, and a lot of stuff has happened in two weeks. It's been rolling like crazy, and uh, you basically were inspired by Leah Remini's comment up to A&E producers to not be pussies, and you said, Chris... The interview was fine, but we should redo it, and you should be less of a pussy. And that's how we got here that. live did. on this show. This is a pussy-free show where I am going to go ahead and ask all the questions, all the tough questions, and uh, we'll deal with it however we can, uh, the best we can in the time allotted, which is however long it takes. Um, right. But you've discovered Twitter lately. <laughs> I did. Twitter. I, I, I honestly, I feel sorry for the Scientology community that I did discover Twitter. <sighs> it's been fun, though. It's been fun. You, you've been really frustrated, though, because the Scientology you left and the Scientology that's being presented to you by the people you've been tweeting with seems different. <clears throat> Very different. And we've talked about this because... Scientology is based on L. Ron Hubbard technology, right? All his policies, everything that he came up with. And there's one policy that I know, you know, personally, and that's disconnection. 
if you are an SP, then a Scientologist cannot be in touch with you. They can't communicate with you. They can't be on social media with you. My dad and my brother have been disconnected from me for 17 years now. So when there is somebody or a group of people, well, it's a very small group, let's be honest, um, that are attacking, you know, ex-Scientologists and saying that they don't work for OSA, well, how are you talking to known SPs? I mean, per LRH policy, you should not be talking to us. So it doesn't make sense. Like, they literally contradict what I, you know, how I was raised on Scientology. So, I mean, maybe maybe because it's been so long, now it's like David Miscavige's Scientology, and they go by whatever he says, rather than LRH policy. Yeah. I just think it's funny. I've been, you know, it's funny because I... I don't ever make bones about the fact that within the last year, you know, the details of, of the inner workings of Scientology, I'm still learning about and I'm still new to it. But even I realized that months and months ago, I just always figured there was a small group of Bosa or a small group of people uh, within Scientology that have been given um, free reign to just say whatever they want. So it appears to the general viewer who's watching, that's watching like I have, who are trying to connect the dots that I connected to go, huh? doesn't look like they're avoiding you to me and just to make just to put on that front. Exactly. We think of that idea. You and, think that's what they're doing? Well, I mean, I do look, I, especially for this, I literally got my ethics book that I had somewhere and on page 296, <laughs> high crimes. These are high crimes that they can declare you for. And for the record, there's like seven pages of them. And it says, failure to handle or disavow and disconnect from a person demonstratedly guilty of suppressive acts. So for them to be connected to me or even be interacting with me on social media, that goes against that high crime right there. So why aren't they getting declared suppressed people? Doesn't make hmm. sense. I mean, yeah, there has if to you're, you're going to sit there and... Exactly. That's what I'm saying. And if you're going to sit there and argue with someone or go against someone, make sure that it's not somebody that was second generation, ex-cadet, ex-seorg, and spent the first years, the first 20 years of my life in Scientology, because I guarantee you that I know the tech better than you do. And I'm going to sit there and go and get it, because I don't believe in just sitting there and saying my opinion and then not having something to back it up. So this whole Twitter thing to me is a real indication that, again, Scientology is imploding from the inside out. Because when I was in, yeah. I would have gotten my ass for something like that. I was RPS well, at 10. Huh? It speaks of, of desperation to me. Um, it's, the whole social media thing has been really hard for them to catch up to, I think. And... It's really weird. If I was if I was Kirstie Alley or Jenna Elfman, I would be pissed right now because they're they're like really high up and they're major players and they're not allowed to have the debate with Skeevy fucking McGee can. That's insane to me. Well, yeah, because I mean, from what I've heard, and I've you know, I don't interact with either of them, but I know that if I was to reach out to Kirstie Alley, she would block me immediately. 
And the same thing with Jenna Elfman. Like they, that's, that's a given. Like we've seen it. She blocked, I think, I'm pretty sure Kirstie Alley blocks everybody. That's anti Scientology. So that's, you know, I just, people that are celebrities in Scientology, they really don't get to see the ugliness that is Scientology because they're kept away from all of that. You know, I remember back when I was in the Sea Org, I think I was like 16. And Tom Cruise was filming Eyes Wide Shut with Nicole Kidman in London. And they, he wanted to go to St. Hill. So we had to clean the castle for days. I mean, we, I think we were cleaning it for three or four days at night, all the way to like four or five in the morning. Then he came in when nobody was there and just did a tour of the castle and, you know, St. Hill Manor and stuff like that but he didn't interact with anybody. And we had to sit there and clean for days before he came. Like you had people going around with their white gloves because that's how they check for cleanliness. So, you know, they don't, they don't see, see the, the white ugliness. Gloves test? Yeah. That's how they check for cleanliness. And, and that was children like from ages five to four or five until what? 12. No, this is when I was in the Sea Org, so it would have been – I mean, I know there was, okay. a ten, there was a 10-year-old. I was, yeah, 15 or 16, and there was some 10, 12, 13, whoever was in the Sea Org. Okay, yeah. so when I say regular Sea Org, just for some listeners, uh, what we're talking about is uh, regular Sea Org is just Sea Org, and then Cadet Sea Org is the, is the younger kids. I don't, I don't know if any of those exist anymore. They don't, I don't think they do. The, the well, Cadet no, Sea Org. The Cadet Org the, it's not the Cadet Sea Org. It's just the Cadet Org. It's the Cadet Org. And that's the okay. children. Aaron, yeah. Aaron, Aaron's going to be Huh? Yeah. <laughs> Aaron's going to be disappointed in me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I said it wrong. Yeah, anyway. Cadet Org. Okay, so there are no more Cadet Orgs. Is that right? Or did I, did I miss that? Um, I had heard the Cadet Org that I was in at Stonelands was per an exec that I spoke to at, at Int the worst one on the planet and they had supposedly shut it down. I know that they stopped allowing parents to join the Sea Org with kids that were under 10 because there were so many instances of abuse, sexual, mental, you know, physical in the cadet org. And it really became a PR flap for Scientology so they got to the point where they supposedly got rid of the cadet org. I don't know if they actually have, but I'm pretty sure that if they do still have cadet orgs, then it's kids that are above 10 now. Okay. All right. So, so in that, in that light, we should just get into your story here a little bit, how, uh, how you came up with Scientology because you were born into it uh, in Switzerland, yeah. right? I was, I was born, um, into it. I have an older sister who's two years older than me and then a younger brother who's two years younger. And my parents were both Scientologists when I was born. They got divorced when I was four. And my dad decided to join the Sea Org. And because my dad was joining the Sea Org and they handle everything internally in Scientology, they decided that they were going to back my dad so that he could get the three kids and my mom didn't. So they knew that us going into the cadet org meant that we were future SEAL members. So that's how my dad got us kids. 
What was that? Like, like a flesh, flesh and blood investment. Yeah, that's pretty much so, what it is. So I don't think I ever asked you this. Um, if you know, even because you were so young, but your your parents' divorce was that a um, was that a natural divorce or was it over Scientology? So a um, normal divorce. My well, they both stayed in Scientology, right? Yes, my mom married a Scientologist, a very rich Scientologist. After my dad. Let's just leave it at that. Okay, well, that explains that. Okay, <laughs> so we got past that. Yeah. Um, so your dad brings you to the um, to the cadet org at St. Hill where you're staying at Stoneland. Now, um, we're, we're going we're gonna to talk about this picture here. I got a picture in a scroll, if anyone can see the scroll. Uh, Sto- Stoneland is the houses with the, with the steep rooftops, and the um, – St. Hill is the big flat roofed building uh, that you'll see there in, in the pictures. So, but when you got there, you were staying in Stonelands, right? Yes. See, that's something I wasn't clear on before. So, so I thought it was all one thing, but that's just me not understanding living arrangements versus yeah, serving. No. St. Hill is the castle that you see in all the pictures, and that's where that's you know their headquarters in England. And then Stonelands was a old, old house that was in West Hoveley, which was, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 miles away. <clears throat> and it's, I think it was built in like 1453. It was really old. And that's where all the Sea Org members, well, they had three different houses. One burnt down, but then the main one was Stoneland's. And that's where I stayed. That's a big place. It's got like, uh, looks like four, four or five steep rooftops to it. Yeah. Four, I think. Okay, so that's going to come up in a little bit here. Uh, but you described, and just want to clarify for the listeners, because uh, we've we've had this we've had this talk. But um, yeah. when you got there, they threw your whole family onto a a, a nasty urine smelling mattress. Yeah. Yeah. They did, and you know we didn't know what was going on because we went from Switzerland a normal family to right. this house. We only spoke French and, you know, the next day my dad was gone and they took my brother to like the nursery. What was that? He stayed with you the first night, but the next day he just left. Yeah. They took him. He went in to go on the EPF. So, <clears throat> you know, like I said, we didn't speak any English. And it was terrifying. had no idea what was going on. So, and it's, you know, in Scientology, they are, they don't, emotions like crying or being angry or anything like that is low on the tone scale. So, you know, you learn really quick that you better not show those kind of emotions because you're going to get in trouble for it. Okay, so they they treated you. You talked about this before. Uh, they treat young people of any age as an adult because you are yeah, an adult children, in the eyes of yeah. Scientology. Well, the way that they look at it is that you are a Satan, which is their way of saying your soul. You've lived countless, countless lives. You reincarnate, you know, 
for every new life. So for them, they don't look at a child as a child. And I mean, there's LRH policy to back me up on this because, you know, I've, I'm prepared. So yes. a, so a <laughs> child is considered a Satan in a little body. Don't get treated like you're a child. Like you have to think the cadet org is based on the Navy. So at four years old, five years old, I'm standing in a line. I have a post and I, I mean, you, when I say that I don't know what it feels like to be a child, I genuinely, you know, that's how I feel. And I know that's how my sister feels and other cadets that were in the same situation as me, because that's just stripped away from you. You're no, you're no longer a child, period. Okay, so... I guess the only thing keeping them from treating an infant or a toddler like a person in a small body is because law. Otherwise, they'd have toddlers doing stuff. Well, I mean, I was four. You're already a toddler. You're still a toddler. Yeah, I mean, they're not like two-year-olds. You've got to at least be able to talk, I would think, you know. It just feels like the the laws of nature just, just fly in the face of logic here. It doesn't make any sense. Like that's the thing is if you look at it from an outside viewpoint and you've never been a Scientologist or you're now an ex-Scientologist, it is crazy. It is crazy. Like who sits there and says that they are the most ethical group on the planet, yet they treat children like this? And I think that's why I finally decided to speak out and why I have become vocal because it's not that I don't, I don't feel for the people that have been disconnected with or the parents or anything like that. I just think that the cadets and the children that were in the position that I was in don't have a voice. You know, there's the second generation of kids. There's these cadets that lost their parents that weren't even raised by their parents because we had cadet coordinators. And there was so much abuse that was done to us. And nobody knows about it. And if it's a church, if Scientology is a religion and it's a church, then they need to be held accountable, period. You know, uh, that was one of the things that drew me to your story is um, when, when I first heard your story, I realized that I, I needed to have you on the show because uh, we hear about abuse of children. We hear about um, the multiple types of abuse, but we don't hear the story usually uh we don't hear people's stories and it's time to start hearing more of them uh it's important it's important so so we get to this point we'll talk about those abuses because when you got there uh by five years old they decided they need to um they decided to start trying to to break you and um i believe it was what was that um was it pam hubbard beale no relation to l ron hubbard but Pam Hubbard Beal, uh, who you've made peace with, I think, in the past, in, in uh, recent uh-huh. past. Um, part of the process, now this is her following policy, I think. I don't know did, I don't if she does to other children. I don't think I've asked you. But she locked you in a room uh, with locked doors and locked windows and forced you to run around trying to find a way out. Yeah. How How does that work? I mean, it was... I don't know if I was 
I think we've talked about this. I was just born a fighter and, you know, having, losing my family the way that I did, I getting dropped into Stonelands. My sister and I have talked about this. It was such a shock to go from, you know, this happy family life to, I mean, I don't think I've ever felt so alone in my life. And then on, and so I'm, you know, I'm a fighter and Scientology and the Sea Org especially do not like fighters. They don't like people like me. So that incident has always stuck in my mind because it wasn't even the point of, you know, oh, I'm going to get a spanking at the end of it because I'd been bad or anything. The whole point of that was to basically show me that I had no control over my life. And it still gets to me to this day. You know, I was, what, five? And she literally made me run around this room trying to get out so that I would understand that I was stuck. Like this, it wasn't going to happen. It's a lesson in submission. Exactly. You have been to my will, and if you don't, this is going to be a really long time here, a very uncomfortable time. Yep. And then she proceeded to give you a spanking, which sort of, you know, um, which would have uh, been not the worst thing that happens. No. So, I mean, but that they was, would uh, sit there. The, with... the rope thing stands out to you, seems like. I don't mean to cut you off. You can go ahead. But it just feels to me like that stands no, out more than a lot of things. It's the fact that she was trying to break me? Yeah, yeah, that particular moment. And okay. I think that's when I made up my mind that it was never going to happen. So so it sounds like they did a lot to try to – it's almost like they wanted you to feel abandoned um, as part of that process because your mother tried to stay with you as well. Yeah, my mother, um, my mother did fight for us, I found out later. And, you know, it, it took me a long time to build up my relationship with my mom because I've always had so much resentment towards her for leaving me. Like, you know, she left me in hell is the way that I've always thought about it. And, you know, she knew some of the stuff that was happening to us, but she was in Scientology and every time she would try and take us or get us, Scientology would tell her that they would declare her a suppressive person. So she really didn't have a choice. So she tried. She actually made the effort, and they kept holding her back. Yeah. Do do you in your mind feel like the right thing to do in hindsight would have been for her to say, then declare me I'm taking my kids? Yeah. I mean, I have a daughter, and when we've talked about this, when you have a child – they become more important than you. At least that's how I feel. You know, like it's your job to protect your child. And my the way that I am, I would have said, fuck Scientology. I want my kids. Let's go. But, you know, my mother isn't me. So I'm not going to talk how, how long had mom. your mom? Yeah, well, how long has she been in before that point? Because she's already, you know, more than indoctrinated by this point, I think. 
yeah, I mean, my mom is an OT8 class 12. You, you really don't, you can't go any higher than what my mom did. So I don't know how long she'd been in it then, but it was a while. She spent, she spent a lot of time in Scientology. So that's, that's a tough spot for her. Yeah. That's a tough spot. Okay. So there, there's no way to ask you more questions about this without putting your mom on the spot. So um, you don't want to talk trash about it. We will move on. Um, no, I mean, look, I've, Chris, I've talked shit out with my mom. My mom knows how I sure. feel. You know, I've, I'm, I've even sat there and told her that my goal as a parent was and is to not be the kind of parent that her and my dad were. And, you know, she gets it. She understands where I'm coming from. So, you know, I'm not, it's not that I'm talking shit about my mom. I have more resentment towards my dad who was there and saw me get beat and was there after I got thrown down a slide of stairs head first and he didn't do anything. So, you know, I've come to terms with my mom and I've, her and I are fine. That's it. Let's talk about that since you brought it up. Um, you, um, you were beaten up pretty badly by, uh, what was her name? Dominique, the governess there. She, she, um, she went after you. Dominique and Heather did. Yeah. I was, uh, I think I was 11 it was in the time period of 10 to 12. I'm pretty sure it was like 10 or 11. Um, I was on the second floor of the house and there were some kids in the shower and they were being loud. And Dominique did not like me, had never liked me because I was very mouthy. And she yelled up the stairs, you know, to shut up. And my response, and I didn't think it out because I wouldn't have said it, was to make me shut up. And as soon as I said it, I heard her start running up the side stairs. And then I heard Heather, who was our other governess or cadet coordinator, coming up the main stairs. And I ran because we had a trap door, like a ladder and a trap door that you could get into a room up there and then get on the roof. And once you got on the roof, they weren't, you know, they weren't nimble enough to kind of traverse it the way we did. And um, the trap door was locked. So they pulled me off the ladder and, you know, they got me in a corner and were punching and kicking me. And then after that, they dragged me through the house by my hair. The main stairs were like 40, 40 steps. And Dominique threw me down head first. And I either dislocated or popped my shoulder out. I messed up my knee. I still can't hear right in one of my ears. Um, And then after that, they threw me outside the house. It was really cold. And they locked all the doors so that I couldn't get in. So. You were locked outside? How long were you outside for? I was outside for a few hours until people started coming. And I went and got in the laundry room, and I just got into a dryer. Just hid. I was in bare feet. It was freezing. And to this day, I still have panic attacks if I get too cold. 
Is that, is that the worst yeah. beating they ever gave a kid there at, at um at Stonelands? I think so. I think so. I mean, so you 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 I talk mean, about your beating, but this wasn't just you. There were other people getting beat. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, it was so hard to describe. It, it was the norm. You know, if it's not, if it wasn't physical abuse, then it was that mental and emotional abuse. You know, that's just the way it was. I mean, I remember I went, I was downstat, which means that I wasn't, you know, my statistics weren't high, which was all the time. And I tried to sneak in to go watch the movie because we ne- we didn't have TVs or anything like that when I was growing up. And Dominique saw me. And she sucker punched me in the face so hard that she knocked me out. It was a regular occurrence. And that was, yeah, it just, you know, we had a cadet coordinator when I first got there. His name was Bo, and he was sexually molesting the babies, like the two-year-olds, the one- and two-year-olds. And then we had a guy that was, his name was Jeremy. He was actually Dominique's husband. And he was, he put cameras in the girls changing, like the showers. I'm talking like kids. And he was watching the girls. So there was just, it, it was just a bad environment. So how, how, Openly was that done? It sound you describe it like because I know it's all public record, a lot of this. Mm-hmm. But is this something yeah. that people were seeing that people could observe that people knew about? Yeah, they, they, they didn't even try to hide it. They would just do the things they no, did. No, and they followed a policy that said that I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna have to send you these policies, but literally, if you were a cadet. Your parents are no longer responsible for you. They give up that responsibility to the cadet coordinators. And he even talks about how children are not children. If you are a suppressive person, it doesn't matter if you're 10 years old. You're still an SP and you're going to get treated like one. Like he, he talked about putting kids into locking them in lockers on the Apollo. This is all Ron Hubbard talking about. Yeah, he talked about it was okay to spank children, et cetera, in one of his policies, which is the one that Pam Hubbard Beale was going off of. So this is per him. So if you sat – and, you know, I would love to get my hands on my PC folders and my ethics folders because when I was a kid, I would write reports on my cadet coordinators when they beat me or when they did whatever to me. So all that is there from, you know, 20 years ago in black and white. It, it's really interesting to me how the people who still defend over on Hubbard's um, stance on children, on, um, on corporal punishment or whatever you call that. Uh, what do you call that when you beat your kids, whatever capital, no, not capital punishment. You know what I'm saying? Oh no, they just <laughs> beating your kids. Yeah, I do. <laughs> there's a saying for it, and I'm losing the expression for some reason. But there's 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 that, and then the thing with the homophobia, and the defense is always the same. Is he wrote it during a different time, the social the social climate was different. 
Well, he discovered okay. a meaning to the universe, but he didn't know that homophobia was bad and beating kids was bad and treating kids like adults. Yeah, hold on. Let's talk about that, though, should we? Because that yeah. right there, the homophobia, is something that gets brought up all the time, and I've seen it with my own eyes. So I know that they try to audit. If you were gay, they would try and audit that out of you. But let's think about this logically, because right. we know I'm a psychology major, right? Yeah. So if L. Ron Hubbard yep. believes that we are all Satans, correct? And we reincarnate and we inhabit a new body every single time we come back to life. So what does a man and a man loving each other or, you know, like being gay, how is that wrong if we're Satans and really technically your body really shouldn't matter? Right? Interesting. That's right. Exactly. And wrong. It really, it really doesn't fit. You're right. It doesn't make sense. Like if you sit there and you have common sense and you logically look at what he says in his policies, it does not go like he contradicts himself all over the place. And I mean, I did give a lesson yesterday on Twitter about that L. Ron Hubbard literally stole his tech from Freud, Pavlov, Marx. Pousset, you name it, he stole his tech from these psychologists and sociologists and psychiatrists. And I literally went through my book, my textbook, yeah. and showed where yeah, he yeah. did it. You, you, you yes, know, we've I did. all we've all had these, we've all had these rounds and we've all made these arguments with people. I don't think anyone in my last year of researching this and looking into this, I don't think I've ever seen anyone as prepared with documentation, photo evidence. Uh, just ready and willing during the argument to make so much headway and really just leave no room for argument. You you nailed it uh, the last couple of days. We've unleashed the crack in on Twitter. Absolutely. You unleashed, I think I, I would rather like Professor Paris or something because I really fooled the hell out of them yesterday. But that's the thing is you oh, – you can't argue with common sense and you can't argue with facts and you can't argue with truth. And that's something that I'm, you know, I say all the time, knowledge is power. And by the way, that's from a sociologist too. That's not L. Ron Hubbard. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think I'm like their worst nightmare because I'm second generation. I'm ex-cadet. I'm ex-seorg. And then I'm going to school for criminal psychology. So I'm literally seeing with my own eyes stuff that I thought, L. Ron Hubbard came up with was actually stolen from, you know, other people. And he sits there and says, well, I base some of the stuff off that, some of the stuff off that. No, you sit there and act like you found, you know, like you said, the secret to the universe, the meaning of the universe. If that's what you did, then why did you have to go to other people and steal their stuff and claim that it was yours? Right. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Holy cow! Yeah, it's <laughs> crazy, man. It's uh, you 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 actually absolutely made uh just small sense out of a big issue, uh, real easy. And what I mean by that is, you know, it costs up to maybe thirty three thousand dollars or more to get the OT three. The truth is free, and uh, you bring the truth, the truth which is, is awesome. Free. I think. But that's and that's the thing is that absolutely. Yeah, it's 
it's it's such a farce. I've yeah. But to interact with these people that are in Scientology still and how brainwashed they are, which I understand because I was there myself. You know? Like Yeah. I, you know you know when I was a when I was a cadet and my sister talks about this all the time, um, we we knew that it wasn't right. And even the, even when they sat there and said that we were down stat and we were pulling it in, because that's one of their favorite sayings, is that if something happens to you, then what did you do to pull that in? We tried to call and that's interesting. CPS. Did really? I tell you about that, Chris? We tried to no, call CPS from Stoneland. Okay. They took the phone off the wall. There was Holy one cow. phone. They literally unscrewed it. And we had no way to communicate. They how, put, like, how big that's would that have been are. if that got through? That would have been huge. But they, they, yeah. they stopped you. They literally you know, do, do you the think... phone out of my sister's hand. Wow. Do you think the way they treat the children, the beatings, and the even, even to um, – I think it's just being sick in the head uh, totally, but uh, – the, the molesting of children, do you think that's based on the idea that well, they're not really children anyway? Is that is that a mindset? Is that something that's just people um, justify in their own heads, or is it just, just being sick? I, well, you know, I think that they – I think in a way they justify it because we're going back to that Satan's with Satan's, right? Right. And in the sea, in the sea Org, you'll find that there's a lot of, you know, like really old men – that are married to really young girls. And I don't know, it's, I sometimes feel like they, they use that to, yeah, like, you know, you're, you're not, you're really not a kid, but you see so many of these children that are like 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, et cetera. We didn't act. We were adults. No, you were forced. Because that's how we were always treated. Yeah. Uh, real quick, so, yeah, I just got I, a I message from Chris Elston. Uh, he's saying I was wrong who? with 33,000. Uh, Chris Elston? Um, oh, okay. I, I, don't, I don't know him real well, but he said that uh, it's okay. more like 300,000 to get the OT3 in his, uh, in his estimate, so I may yeah. be a, a little bit off. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> yes. I love that guy. So, he was in the field, he was in the field with me. Was he? Yeah, I was when you when you said thirty three thousand. Like I know that Aaron is already going to give you a hard time about the cadets York. So <laughs> Aaron's you know, my fact checker. <laughs> I am. I'm trying. I'm. You know. I'm. I'm trying to be nice. But yes, you are so off on that. It is about three hundred thousand. And no, Chris Elson was out. in the Sierra with me. Huh? That's important to point that out. People should know that. Yeah. No. Uh. Wow. And that wasn't that wasn't all they did to you guys. Uh, the this is this is just just to give the full picture here. Uh, just being able to eat was a target for you guys. Uh, just just trying to find a yeah. way to get food. Um, what what was that like? Because uh, what you describe in, in the article I read about you is, is is pretty wild. And you brought up on the interview that we scrapped about shoestrings. Shoe if you could just go over that again. Yeah. If you were not at, you know, breakfast, lunch, or dinner, <clears throat> then you didn't eat. 
Like we didn't, you know, you just didn't eat. They weren't going to make you a plate or anything. So we were always hungry and we would steal food. We would wait for John Harvey, who was our cook at the time to leave. And then I would stand watch. And then my sister and Emily and Marianne, some of the other really small cadets would sneak into the pantry window and we would steal food. Like that's how we ate. But um, John Harvey was mean, like he was, and he did not like me. So I was pretty fast as a kid and I was pretty ballsy. So I was always the one that would knock on the kitchen door and I'd squirt him with water and piss him off to the point where he'd want to hit me. And then I'd run through Stoneman's and hopefully was faster than him so he didn't catch me because he always hit me. So that was, I mean, yeah, we, we stole food to eat pretty much. Because and then also, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. You get. Oh, no. The shoelace thing is that uh-huh. um, if there's a policy, I think if you don't vote, then if you don't vote and give them points, then you end up getting shoelaces. Like he actually sat there, gave us a tray of shoelaces. So you just didn't eat? Did. Yeah, we just didn't eat. We were... And this was over on Hover Policy? Yes. Yeah. I think you specified that last time, and I was kind of thrown off by that. Um because of course you're not expected to eat the shoestrings, and um, I think oh, what's significant about that food, is though. you said the food was terrible. Because we didn't. Well, the food was terrible. I, it was baked chicken and potatoes or beans and rice. But Every day. The day that he brought us the shoelaces, he did not bring us out any other food. That was it. We were always. Was this hungry. everybody getting punished for one person or? So if one child did not make it in time, everybody got shoelaces? No, no, no. It wasn't about making it in time. The shoelaces was if you voted. Oh, you vote like, you know, everything, okay. in the, yeah, everything in the Sea Org is run on statistics. So his statistic was how good the food was. And it was like between one and seven. And we would never vote. So <laughs> he gave us shoelaces. Yeah, so if he's forcing you to vote seven, even if Scientology Upper Echelon would have done something about it, they would never hear about it because if you wanted to eat, you were giving him sevens. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. And so that abuse was all through the house. That was just that wasn't even just one or two people. Was, every time you turned around, somebody who was an adult was an abusive figure, and that's why I guess you say it was like the norm. It wasn't. You know, when I have and it kind of gets to me every time because when I have conversations with people and what my sister and I have spoken about this and we tell these people stuff that have happened to us and it doesn't seem like it's so bad and people sit there and look at us like we're crazy because we don't think it's bad, but that's just how we grew up. Like that was normal. It was normal for us to always be hungry. I mean, it was, normal if you got smacked upside the head for doing something it was it was just normal 
And, and speaking of the people chasing you around, if people look at the picture and the scroll of Stonelands, the pointy roof houses, the arrow points to where you guys would get out the trap door to the window. Is that right? Yeah. And you would climb up on that yeah. rooftop, which is insane by itself, just that one window. And if you could get up on the roof without killing yourself and breaking your neck, you had to climb over all those rooftops to get to the other side. That's how scared you were yeah. of these people hurting you. Now, how often did you have yeah. to make these escapes? Oh, I was up on the roof all the time. Okay. So this is like, we'll uh, I mean, clear, clearly, because this is the actual, this is the actual scripture. I mean, this is actual, this is all L. Ron Hubbard doctrine that yeah. Traces of what we're telling in this story are everywhere in Scientology, depending. But your experience was like the extreme. That sound about fair? Yeah, I think mine. Yeah, I would. I would definitely say that. You know, when it comes to being a cadet, mine was definitely extreme. And it's, I'm, I'm literally the worst person to be in a cult. And I think that you know. That's why I ran away so much and I got out and, you know, I was always fighting. And I think that's why it was so extreme because, you know, I, I don't, I'm not a good candidate for Scientology. I'm sorry. So, I'm just not. So, yeah, we're going to get into Sea Org in a minute, but I see in Sea Org there's a lot of pitting people against each other. A lot of people, you know, husband and wives even writing knowledge reports on each other. Did they have a way of pitting kids against each other in the in the cadet org? Did that did they ever pit you against your sister or your brother against your sister or you against your brother? Were these things that you ended up having to to deal with and, and endure during that time? Yeah, yeah. You write you write knowledge reports on everybody. Just because they're your family doesn't mean that they, you know, that you don't write them up for anything. And um, my sister and I have talked about this again. I keep bringing my sister into it, but my, you know, we've worked so hard on our relationship because when you grow up in Scientology, you really don't have, at least in the cadet org or in the sea org, you don't really know what a family is. It's, you don't have those bonds. So I would, I didn't have a good relationship with my brother or sister in the cadet org because of, I mean, you can't trust anybody. And Everybody's Mark and your talked about this. That's what I'm saying. Like, Mark even talked about that. I love those two. But he talked about that, <laughs> how, you know, he couldn't trust Claire to not write him up for wanting to leave, right? I'm pretty sure he said something like that. And it's the truth. You literally do not trust anybody. And just think about that for a second. Somebody that's not in, if you can't trust your family members because anything that you do, they're not loyal to you, they're going to write you up to the ethics officer and you're going to be in trouble. That's a really wow. shitty way to live. And that, that's life. That is your whole life. Yeah. And I know and that that's why there's so people. many – Chris, that's why there's so many – families that have been destroyed by Scientology because they really don't, cons- you know, it's like Scientology is it it's and awesome. that's what's important and family is not. 
Yeah, I mean, it's the culture. And I see they have like the, 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 the pimp, this marriage counseling I've heard about before, but yet there's such a high divorce rate in Scientology. It's, it's, it's really if – you, if you look at everything objectively, it's sobering. Yep. Um, I, know, I know they said in Scientology they've had people like, go hit him for me. Did they, did they teach that stuff to you guys in the cadet order? Did they make kids hit each other? Um, we're not going to talk about that. That bad? Okay. Yeah, we've talked. We're All not right, going to well, talk about that. Well, I'm not going to be a pussy either. You know, I'm going to ask. But anyway, <laughs> you put, you told me not to be a pussy. All right, so um, we move on from that. Um, how, how do we get from the cadet org? Uh, what what happened after that? After you finished your time in the cadet org, how did that end up? Well, I didn't really finish my time in the cadet org. I, after my dad was in that car accident and I got told that he died for a couple hours, you know, tricks of the trade to break somebody. Um, wow. I decided that I was done and I called my Swiss grandma and I got her to book me a plane ticket to Florida because my sister had left me. She went to join the surrogate flag and I was, I think she was 13 turning 14 and I was turning 12 and I got on a plane and I went, yes, that that's exactly described it. It was her way out, but she left me. She left me there. Um, anyway, so I ended up in Florida and I had met Emily Jones, who is Phil and Willie Jones's daughter when I was at Flag visiting my mom. And I ended up moving in with them for a while. And I stayed with them. They were amazing. Um, and then I ended up going to... Huh? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. What were you saying about Phil? Oh, I was just saying Phil's great. I've, I've talked to him a few times. He's great. Yeah, he's like my dad. He and I are very similar. Um, he's a fighter, too. But uh, when I was hmm. 14, I moved to Los Angeles by myself to nanny for a Scientology family there. So I was, you know, I was their nanny, their living nanny. And then for Christmas of that year, I think it was 94, 95, I think it was 94, going into 95, um, my sister was going to St. Hill to visit my stepmom, Angela, and my brother, Raphael, that was still there. My dad had already left. He was in Florida. And they wanted me to go and visit them. And they pushed really, really hard for it. It was kind of weird. But I ended up going over there for Christmas. And I thought that I'd lost my passport and green card. But it turns out that they had stolen it. Well, my... Yeah. It was stolen because... So your, your stepmother stole your, your yeah. ID? Yeah. She did. Because my mom was starting... My mom and stepdad was starting to make noise against the church because my stepfather... my You know, my, not my mom's current husband, but her husband before... Um, his name is Albert Jacquier, and 
he gave all his money to the church, like millions of dollars. And um, he got sick and he tried to get his money back from the church and from these Scientologists that owed him. Like they literally owed him up to millions of dollars and he couldn't even afford to go to the doctor. And he ended up committing suicide. He took all his pills. And my, well, he was, his car was at the sandcastle, but his body was at his house. I don't really know how that makes sense, but we'll just leave that at that. And my brother, Mickey, who was seven at the time, walked into the house and found him. So my mom became enemy number one for the church. So they they had my brother in the cadet org. They had my sister in the Sea Org, and I was the wild card. I'd always been the wild child. So they needed to get me under control. And the best way to do that was really give me no choice but to join the Sea Org. And that's what I did. So, I mean, how did you have no choice? If you can explain how that works. Because I didn't have anywhere to go. If you're still, what, 16? I was 14. 14? Okay. Yeah, 14. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I you were 14, you had nowhere to go. Yeah, well, I mean, no I had choices. nowhere to go. My mom, my mom was not an option, obviously. My grandparents in France have always been anti-Scientology. My grandma at the time in Switzerland is my mom's mom. So obviously that's not an option. My dad is being my dad in Florida and he's obviously not capable of looking after me. So where was I supposed to go? I didn't have anybody. Now your mom, you knew your mom was on the outs of Scientology, right? No, I did not. I had no idea. Okay. So, so this was this was the only choice. You weren't happy about it, but it was the only way you were going to be able to make a life for yourself. You thought, or even just be have anywhere to be taken care of because I didn't have anywhere 14. to go. Yeah, yeah. Like I lived wow. on the streets of Clearwater when I was thirteen. I stayed on a park bench in Clearwater Park. Like I didn't oh have God. anywhere to go. Do you not understand? Like, I did not that's that. how Scientology works. You literally have nobody outside of Scientology, which is why they can hold that getting declared suppressive person over your head, because all you know is people from the church. So the fuck are you supposed to do when you're 14 and you don't know anybody else? How they do what they do. Yeah. That is... (sighs) Okay, so you go to Sea Org, and um, how, how did that work for you? I was a terrible Sea Org member. I bet. I was terrible. I think I redid the EPS at least twice. I was always in trouble. And then my mom attacked the church, which meant I was placed under 24-hour watch, which, of course, me being me, just used it as fun. Like, how do I lose my guards? I'm just was not a <laughs> so good... Just, I mean, well, I was, you can't life without these guards standing around you no matter what you do no like they would literally go to the bathroom with me 
that wow it was awesome they would sit outside my door when i was sleeping that's but, not life nope and you know the seorg is really hard you do not get a lot of sleep you don't get a lot to eat most seorg members that are out will probably tell you that they're always hungry as well um that guy that, you know, sent you that message, Chris Elston, found me under the stage, I believe. I had not slept for, like, going on six days, five or six days, because we were getting ready for the IAS event. And I was on mess work because I was in trouble. And the only sleep that we were getting was the bus ride from Walsh Manor to St. Hill, back and forth. So I was running on no sleep. And I got in trouble because my body now, literally now this, could not stay awake anymore. Now, this is not an, ex- an extreme uh, representation. This is actually something I've heard of a lot of people say they went through when there was an event. They were expected not to sleep oh, yeah. for several days yeah. on end. So th- this is not the oh, extreme. Yeah. This is normal Sea Org. This is normal Scientology. Uh, um, wow. Yeah. And uh, you were oh, yeah. forced to disconnect from your mom? Like you didn't want to? You, you they, they made you? They made me disconnect from my mom. I didn't want to. I remember the day that I found out that she had defected and was attacking the church. And I know this sounds really weird, but I remember waking up and I was excited. I was like, hmm. holy shit, this is my way out. And then they sent my dad to England. <clears throat> yep. And I couldn't even leave the Sea Org. I really thought it was my way out of the Sea Org. And it wasn't. They wouldn't let me leave. Because your dad has custody and you're still a minor. I was still a minor. Yeah. Funny how minor only counts when it has to do with custody to keep you in the church. I know. And that's why we that's why it was such a flap as well for the church because my brother I think was only fourteen or thirteen and I was fifteen. Yeah, he was thirteen and I was fifteen when it happened. So we were minors. And that's why they sent my dad over. And my dad had to go to France to handle my grandparents because my mom was attacking the church in Paris and France, and they saw her on TV. Like, my mom is the original gangster. Like, right. I'm, yeah, when it comes to that, my mom is, and my stepdad, I think, kind of paved the way. You know, she put OTA on the Internet. I think she's probably still, like, the... Scientology's number one enemy to this day. So, but they moved my sister to the ship and, you know, you really need to talk to her about her time on there, but it was terrible. But she was supposed to go there for two weeks to get away from my mom and she ended up being there for 12 years. Wow. That's like a whole other story. Yeah, we won't get into that because it's not my story to tell and I don't, you know, I really don't want right. to talk about stuff that is hers. But absolutely understandable. Yeah. So you got um. So, yeah. You got forced into a marriage at sixteen. You didn't want to be in. Is that, am I understanding this correct? Yeah, I, I really did not want to marry him, and I was sat down by the senior LRH com, um, and told very nicely that well, pretty much you either marry him or we're going to drop you off in the middle of East Grinstead. 
with nothing. So now, so now we're getting into Game of Thrones territory here, arranged marriages. Is, is this a common occurrence in Scientology, or is this a special circumstance? Um, I think it was special just because of who he was and who his dad is. So, yeah, his dad is a, a really well-known artist. So, anyway, I ended up marrying just, him. And, I, I want her. Is basically, I want her. Okay, you can have her. And you don't get a choice in the matter. Yeah, that's how it felt. That Honestly, that's exactly how it felt. And that was it. And I don't think that, like I said, I mean, we've talked about this. It was really, it's not like there's a rain mar- arranged marriages. I'm not saying that for a second because that's not, not true. You, yeah, no, it's not. Absolutely not. Um, but you will find that in the Sea Org there are Kids, kids that are married. I was 16, and that is the norm in the Sea Org. Yeah. I don't even know what to say to that. That is insane. Yeah. Um, you've talked about we talked about getting you on the show and doing the interview. You said that your story involved everything. Um, yeah. Sexual, physical, mental abuse. Um, I, I don't want you to get in details. I don't want you to be too uncomfortable, but um, I imagine you don't want to talk about it and we won't, uh, but were you sexually yeah. abused? Okay. Yeah. And that's all we're going to say. We're not talking about that. Absolutely. And it's funny, I just got another message from Chris. Go ahead. What did Chris say? No sex allowed outside of marriage in the sea. Of course, that's, um, you know, within within consent, I guess. Thank you, Chris. I was going to mention that. Yeah. Do do you feel like there's a... um, go, Go ahead. No. Go ahead. What was your question? Do you feel like, um, because you don't hear a lot about it, too much about it, I feel like it's there a lot, though, and, and I don't want to misspeak, just, just your opinion. Do you think there is a, and again, going back to treating children as adults, do you think there is a rape culture in Scientology? I think that there is a culture in Scientology that children are not children. So, yeah. It kind of puts it all on the table. Yeah. Yeah, and it happened to me and it happened to a lot of other people. So, if it was just me, I would I would say no. But the majority of people that you speak to that were in the cadet org or were young SEER members will attest to that. Okay. Yeah. I I feel like there's a lot of strained relationships in families like yours and uh, other families, but that that there's strains where when you do reconnect, wouldn't that be there if it wasn't for the initial problems caused by the mentality and just the 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 way things are are handled within Scientology, the, the just the culture in general. 
Yeah, I think when you leave, um, you don't realize how, how, I don't know how bad it was. Like my sister and I trigger each other pretty badly just because we think so differently. I've been out for such a long time and she's been out for, you know, seven or eight years and she's done amazing. I'm really proud of her. Uh, We just, we think very, very differently and it's, it's hard to kind of find that common ground because you're looking at something that seems like common sense to you, but they're looking at it as in you're criticizing them. That's something that you're going to find with ex-Seorg members a lot, and anybody is more than welcome to, you know, chime in and say that I'm wrong on this. But in the Seorg, you always have to defend where you're coming from, you know. So if you feel like you're being attacked, you kind of have to push back so that you're not wrong. Because people right. get yelled at all the time in the Seorg. They get abused in the Seorg all the time. So it's hard to handle kind of criticism when you come out, even if it's constructive criticism. And I don't, you know, there's there's so much work that you kind of have to do to get rid of all the stuff that you thought was real and, realize, and you know, just that realization that you believed a lie for so long, I think is is really painful. Is this a motivating like, factor think about it. for you? What I'm is? Sorry. <laughs> is this a motivating factor for you to go into criminal psychology to try to understand how the mind works, how you got to think people go to think in the way they do and making the decisions they make that can be so harmful? Yes, absolutely, it is. And you know, I've I've never understood how I I, I want to understand how my mindset was so different than my sisters and brothers. You know, why did I fight against it so hard? Why did some others fight against it so hard? So, but I think that's also a factor when you're talking to ex-scientologists because there's a lot of guilt that a lot of people feel, especially parents. My mom still feels guilt about the fact that she believed in something for 20 years and lost her kids over it. And it's literally crippled her sometimes. And I know that, you know, like Phil and Willie, they have that guilt for getting their kids into Scientology. And now they're fighting so hard to get Emily and Michael back. So I think that's one of the main reasons why I did decide to speak out not only because I don't think that the kids have a voice, but also because there's so many people that have that guilt and I feel like they shouldn't, you know, you can't, like that's just not a good way to live. Well, we talked that about that. Like, where do you, where do you draw the line? I mean, there, there, because there has to be a line to draw um, between Okay, so I did that because I thought it was what I was supposed to do because that's all I've ever known, like mm-hmm. abusing someone or hurting someone versus I should have known regardless of what the standard procedure is that this was so wrong 
and I should be and I should regret this and I should never have done it to begin with. Where does that line draw between bad person and indoctrinated brainwashing? Let's talk about that, shall we? I was waiting for you to bring sure. that up. Okay. <laughs> right. So okay. Yeah. Accountability and responsibility. Okay. I get it that you were in the Seorg and David Miscavige told you to do something. But especially for somebody that has not that grew up in the real world and then joined the Sea Org, I don't give a fuck what anybody says. If somebody tells me to beat the shit out of somebody, I'm not gonna do it. I'm not. Because it's wrong. And but then again, having been in that mindset that a lot of these people were in, I can't really speak for them. But I do, I do know that I would take accountability and I would take responsibility for my actions. And I've always said that. I own my shit. I worked for OSA. You know, I worked for HCO. So, I, you know, I'm not, like, at the end of the day, I take responsibility for anything that I've done. I never did anything like beating somebody up or anything like that. But I just think that, that's also becomes an issue when you get out because there's this large ex community now. So like we, I think I'm pretty sure we talked about this. Like you interact with these people that really did you harm. Right. And it's kind of like, well, how do you, how do you get past that? So, I mean, my, my thing is, and you know, sorry, Marty Rathburn, I'm a fucking throw your name out there. You sit there and act like everything that you did, was just because DM told me to. No, dude, you are second up in the church. Be accountable. Take responsibility for what you did. You know what I mean? Like, it's not hard. Yeah. Own your shit. Yeah, I have a real issue with that. I can't stand that shit. So there, there is a line I, for you, and you see. Do Do you think what I said last week makes sense? The whole thing with. It's kind of a personal decision. There may be others who feel like they can forgive that and forget that and others who can't let it go. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, it's to each their own. You know, I don't – really to each their own. But I think that when you get out of, out of Scientology and you come to the realization that what you did was wrong, then that's the point where you have to sit there and go, okay, I did this. Yes, I did it because if I didn't, I was going to get in trouble. But you know what? I own it. I hold myself accountable. I get it. It's not, you know, so you I, mean? value, like, I don't think anybody's going to make, what was that? You value that. You value someone owning it. If, if someone made terrible things, the terrible things you can't imagine doing, but they own that they did it because of Scientology and because of their brainwashing and they, and they show remorse, that holds a lot of weight with you versus if they never apologize. Of course it does. Absolutely. Never show remorse. Because, again, I've, I've been there. You know, I've, I remember how it feels to feel like that. So I'm, that's just not me. Like, I don't – but that's me. Like, I don't hold on to past shit. It's not it's not how I live my life. You know, I don't hold grudges or anything like that. But I do have an issue with people that know that what they did was wrong and don't take accountability for it. And I will call you out on that. And I have no problem with doing it. So, you know, 
I've sat there and I've had people sit there and go, well, you were in OSA. Yeah, motherfucker, I was 15 years old. I'm So the shit that I did for OSA was getting sent to a country when I was 15, 16 to pick up money because they didn't want people to know about it. Stuff that's illegal. Yeah. I was 15, 16, you know? It's not quite the same shit that they had OSA. money? Yeah. Absolutely. What the what the hell is no, that? Is that laundering? What what is he doing there? I've honestly I have no idea. I just know that I had a French passport. I was a young girl and I was also a Swiss citizen and I got sent to Geneva, Switzerland to pick up like ten grand and I had to put it in my backpack and then I took a train back to England. They used you. I have yeah. Like they would have disavowed yeah. you immediately if you got caught, wouldn't they? Oh God, yeah. They would never have known who I was. And speaking of if they got called, this is big, right? I, I think this is big. There are a lot of the stuff that got the cadet org shut down, that got St. Hill shut down. A lot of stuff that got people in trouble who committed these crimes against children, uh, physical and sexual abuse and all these things. Um, if they got caught internally, this would still be going on because they're not going to do anything about it. They did get caught internally, and nothing was done. The but it was when people outside find out. Yeah, that's, and there was a guy that was, we've talked about this as well, there was a guy that was a teacher at Greenfield School, the school that I went to for a while when I was young, and he was sexually molesting the boys that were in his boarding house. And this is public record. He got arrested. But the church knew about it for a while never reported it because he was at a Scientology school and they got investigated for that and I'm, I think if you, you'd have to ask my sister but I'm pretty sure that the, the uh, headmistress at the time got kicked off her post because of it but yeah there was a some a wog somebody that's not a Scientologist reported him to the police and it went to trial he was found guilty, so, and he went to jail. He was in the left. The public record. These boys. Yep. Public record. Yep. I have a copy of that, too. I come prepared. Because, you know, I'm yes, going to get do. attacked hardcore for this interview, so I'm prepared. But, yeah, his name was Mark Kent. It's not slander. Public record. Sorry. How did, how did you get out of Sea York again? Did we, did we cover that? Oh, it took me months and months to get out, and I had booked a ticket with my brother to Chicago, and I was—they um, didn't want to let me go. I—I hid in all my stuff in a closet so that my husband at the time wouldn't see it. And yeah, I didn't even finish my sex check. I don't believe. I gave him an ultimatum, so they had to let me go. Weren't they? Uh, I thought you told me they were going to put you in. They were sending you to the RPF for communicating with your sister or something. No, they were going to uh, oh, put me on the RPF because I was a terrible Seward member. Oh, is that what it was? And you said screw that because you've already been through hell. Yeah, I told them to go fuck themselves. Man, Chris, and Chris I, I actually said that. Got the documents too. 
Thank you for sending oh, me yeah. messages. <laughs> Chris, I told you he was in the Sea Org with me. He I was know, in HCO I when I was at St. Hill. You've got your back. You've got your back. I know. I, I think. That. Awesome. I think he was in the room when I told him to go fuck themselves. That's awesome. That yeah. is awesome. And then this yeah. to demonstrate this affects more than just the people involved. And I always talk about the worst thing about Scientology almost. One of the worst things is how it affects people who never had anything to do with Scientology. Um, like your yeah. daughter. Yeah. Um, how is your daughter? Your daughter now knows your history, I think. Yeah, I, uh, I kept it hidden. From, not hidden, but, you know, it was just something we didn't talk about. My her dad's family is amazing. Like they've even though her dad and I are divorced, they're still my family. You know, they know what I've been through. My ex was there when Osa was parked outside my you know, my house back in the day and so we just we kind of just kept her away from it and my dad reached out to her on Facebook. And was starting to have a relationship with her when my sister got out. Because my sister was trying to get rid of all the SP declares and all that. So I've technically been declared twice, by the way. Um, But anyway, when he disappeared again, like he disconnected from her, she didn't understand why. So she Googled my name. And found a couple things that had been written. And sent me a text message to let me know that she had Googled my name. And I was really upset about it. And I was like, well, what do you think? And she said, "Um, it just makes me even more proud that you're my mom. Sorry. Wow. So, yeah. So you've gone on and you've taken what you've been through. And I've posted on the scroll here your report card, your latest report card. Um, all A's yeah. and a B, you're kicking ass. Uh, this is all part of something. I'm sure, you, I'm sure you don't mind saying this publicly, and I'll just say it for you while you, <laughs> while, while you get yourself together. But um, you said that you don't care what anyone thinks of you. You'll say whatever needs to be said, whatever's on your mind, as long as you don't disappoint your daughter. And I think yeah. that is unbelievably awesome Um, and goes back to how important a family is to you and how it should be to everybody yeah my kid is amazing like she's amazing I have conversations with her about psychology she's got such a good head on her shoulder and that's her dad and I so yeah um also, I want to point something out here. Um, you're going to yell at me for talking about this later, but you brought it up in this interview um, that you have a strained relationship, although you're good with your mom and your sister. And it's strained yeah. because of what happened uh, in, within Scientology. I think it's important to remember that as much as it may seem to be too stressful sometimes or too much combat, too combative or too much hard-headedness between different people's idealisms that – it's important to realize you guys keep coming back and that that's, yeah. that's what I get out of it is you guys keep coming back because you, I think you both have the, you both, well, let's say both, but all three of you, your mom, your sister, yourself all know um, 
that you get it, you know, this is all you got. You got to keep it together. Yeah. I, I'm not going to yell at you for that. Cause I do really agree with you. You know, my sister and I are, are very different, but we're so similar as well. And, you know, I love her to pieces and I know she loves me too. And I've just got, you know, I've been on my own for such a long time that to have somebody kind of, you know, like a tornado come back into my life and want this family unit, it's hard for me just because I'm not used to it. And, you know, she's, she's fighting to get through the stuff that she has to get through too. And I'm super proud of her. You know, I may yell at her every now and then and she drives me crazy, but (laughs) I have, I'm really proud of her. I have a lot of respect for her. She's nearly done with her school. She's amazing. You know, she's accomplished a hell of a lot in the years that she's been out. So yes, he drives me crazy, but I am extremely proud of her and I love my mom. You know, I'm really proud of my mom. She's made a great life for herself since leaving. She's not perfect. None of us are. So, right. Yeah. We, we definitely, we definitely bring it back to each other. And that says a lot. All right. Wow. It does say a lot. Oh, I'm going to tell you what. We're going to wind this up here. I, um, you're familiar with 10 questions? Oh, yeah. I have a little fun here at the end here. I have 10 questions and maybe uh, say one last bit here before we go. Uh, before we do 10 questions, I want people to know I'm just going to do a little self-promotion real quick. <laughs> Got Brendan Reesdorf <laughs> next week. He's going to reveal some stuff that hasn't been revealed anywhere else before. In a couple weeks, in a few weeks, I should be talking to Victoria Britton. A lot of great things coming up, including things I don't want to talk about yet. <laughs> so it all starts yeah, here. I, I think I think, I think the <laughs> – listen to you. <laughs> all right. I think this live podcast is kind of like a new boost here where I'm hitting a, like a rocket ship here to help this cause and get as many people voices out as possible. And I hope this, uh, this doesn't slow down until um, it all crumbles for, uh, for the kingdom over there. Uh, but here we go. <laughs> Ten questions with Melissa Paris. Uh, number one, U.S., Switzerland, or U.K., what do you prefer? U.S. Number two, true I or mean, country-wise, hold on. Oh, Switzerland okay. is beautiful, but I'm an American at heart. Keep going. Sweet. Sweet. <laughs> Number two, <laughs> true or false? Nice guys finish last. False. I agree. I, in fact, since we recorded this initially, I had said, because I feel this you know, in my heart here, be a good person, do good things, see awesome results. That's going to be my new motto. Yeah. So what you nice guys do Hey, what you put out in the universe is what you get back. Sure That's thing. my motto. I agree. Number three, have you ever run up a down escalator? Fuck yes. Come on now. <laughs> That's so fun. Uh, number four, mm-hmm. you're in school right now. I know you're doing criminal psychology. Before criminal psychology or other than criminal psychology, uh, what is your favorite subject? Uh. I would say English or history. Probably history. I love history. Yeah. I think you speak better English than me. But uh, number five, <laughs> what's the best thing you've ever done since being free? What's the best uh, experience you've had? What, what, do you, what do you feel good about? Had my kid. Sounds pretty respectful. I love that. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I haven't rewritten this. You didn't like this next. All right, number six is a pass. I was going to ask you the craziest thing you've ever that you've ever wanted to do or you ever done. Sorry. And you really, said no pass. You already know that that is a pass. <laughs> that is a pass. Number seven. What's the craziest thing you've wanted to do but haven't yet? Is there anything that you uh, still uh, aspire to do that's kind of crazy? Um, I don't know. Does getting rid of the text exempt status for Scientology count? Because I'm I'm working on that pretty hardcore. Well, that's like a huge group effort right there. But uh, and it sure is. That. It's a solid group of us. So let let's put that. In oh, the yeah. oh yeah. Next question. <laughs> Next question. Number eight, true or false? Everything is bigger in Texas. You live in Texas. Oh, that's – come on now. You know that's true. I don't – I've never been to Texas, that's true. but I'll take your word for it. You need to go to Texas. All right. You would love it. Someday. There's a lot of places I want to go. <laughs> a lot of places. Number nine. Um, this one's interesting to me. Number nine, Scientologists seem to have a lot of enemies. Since you've been away from Scientology, would you say you have enemies? I do not have enemies um, until about three days ago, four days ago, when I discovered Twitter. And <laughs> now I have a few. Though, for the record, I did win somebody over yesterday. I hope so. Kind of like that. I now. hope so. Mm. I'm not going to. I'm not going to pour any water on the fire. I. I, I think. Uh, I, I. What I've seen is so respectable, and I appreciate so much what you've done. Because it seems if, if everything holds up and this person um, and this person truly is uh, working with you and not playing you, um, as, as nasty as the things that person said about me personally, um, I, I'm happy if there's a if there's a common ground and, and people are able to make peace and uh, and you're able to do what everybody else gave up on. That's amazing. So well, hopefully, but you know, hopefully you did reach, reach the, that person, Chris. We've talked about this. Everybody has a story. And, yep. you know, there was even some people that were sitting there texting or messaging you asking if I was an indie Scientologist, which, by the way, is the stupidest fucking thing I've ever heard because anybody knows me. <laughs> anybody knows that I think Scientology is the biggest load of shit ever. But I don't believe in just being <laughs> ugly and nasty to people. Right. So – you know, I'm not going to attack somebody just because they have a different viewpoint than me. Everybody no, you is know. entitled. Yeah. So I'm going to I'm going to stand like, up though for. I'm going to speak up for the people who have spoken to her in the past. Not everybody is insulting and trashing and and attacking that person. Oh, I that know person, that. It was a little bit inflammatory sometimes. Absolutely, absolutely. And if I was to see that, especially against somebody that I consider a friend, you know damn well that I'm going to destroy them on Twitter, not in person, okay? No. But I'm just saying, I just, I do what I want. I say what I want, and I think how I think. So nobody is going to sit there and tell me how I can and cannot think. We've talked about this. That's that's just not going to happen. So I will handle myself however I want to. (laughs) I will teach these people whenever I want to. And I will go get my textbooks whenever I want to. So the way that I do shit may be different, but I'm me. Next question. Keep moving. I like. No, I was going to say I'm rooting for the whole situation. I really am. Um, Good. Don't uh, number ten. Uh, not going to burst your bubble. Not going to burst your bubble. Not, not yet. So, do you have any messages or anything you want to say to your family who are disconnected or 
anything, any hopes, any aspirations on that? Um, I hope that my brother ends up back in the family fold. I really do. Uh, though I did hear some pretty shitty stuff he said about me recently, so whatever. Um, as for my dad, yeah, not interested. He's one of those people who's crossed that line that uh, between should know yeah. better and shouldn't know better. Yeah, when you're a parent and you see your kid and they're beat up and everything else that happened to us and you – I mean, there's there's some stuff that's going to come out that we've talked about a project that I worked on. So, you know, yeah. I, at some point, and I think a lot of people that have been disconnected from might agree with me or might not, but at some point you have to move on. You have to sit there and realize that there's not much that you can do to get these people to realize that they're in the wrong and you have to start building a life for yourself because, and we've talked about this as well, I will not let Scientology define me. I will not let Scientology become my life because it's not. I have an amazing life. I have an amazing daughter. I'm doing great. That's not going to become my life. So, you know, it became my choice. It's my choice now who I choose to have in my life and who I choose not to have in my life and who I choose to fight for. And it's my choice to not fight for him anymore. And that's his loss, not mine. Understood. Uh, I just mm-hmm. want to say I'm glad I'm on your side because on the other side is very scary. Uh, <laughs> but I will say, I will say this. Um, for what you and your sister, for what your family has been through, um, to bring yourself to this point and this point in time, and your sister's had less time to do it, but to to better your life, to dedicate to family, to the grades you're getting that I posted on that scroll, that you this this, this journey on your uh, your criminal psychology uh, major. Um, so many people in your position, and even outside of Scientology, people who grew up in the streets or in bad neighborhoods, people from bad backgrounds tend to at times become bad people and lean on their experiences as an excuse. And you yeah. and your family choose to use these experiences. So many people out of Scientology choose to use these abusive and terrible experiences to be better people and be contributing members of society. And just, uh, I'm just impressed and overwhelmed with uh, how incredible you guys are. I'm really impressed, and uh, and I respect the hell out of you. Thank you. That means a lot. I appreciate that. Right, is there anything else you want to say to the live audience before we head out? Uh, no. School will be in session again today, I'm sure. <laughs> you can follow Melissa on Twitter if you want to attend class at 1225 Paris, just like it sounds, <laughs> on Twitter. And um, I hope you all uh, got a little something out of this, and uh, I'll be seeing you again next week. Bye, everybody. Uh, stay connected, and that about sums it up. If I speak for your followers and I speak for your ex-followers and I speak for the curious outsiders looking in and you remain silent in the shadows and don't let your balls drop enough to come out and say something, then I say, who do you speak for, Mr. Miscavige? Anything on earth that says, don't listen to your mum and dad, don't talk to your mum and dad, that's bad. Yeah, wrong. Absolutely believe his own bullshit. Now... 
Does that mean he believed it from day one? I don't know. Hubbard reveals to them that he is the Antichrist. Scientology has not helped you. You have helped yourself. Yes. I'm absolutely positive that happened because I was physically abused in Scientology. We're crossing the line into torture. You're my Appreciate favorite, it. though. Am I? You're my favorite. Well, thank you yeah. so much. I, I can't. You put me on the heat meter and ask me the question, and the needle would float. At Caraba's Italian Grill, folks always seem to be saying, Wow. Especially now, because you can take home our delicious made-from-scratch lasagna, layered pasta with meat sauce, creamy ricotta, and mozzarella cheese, absolutely free. Homemade lasagna? For free? Wow. Order one of your Carrabba's favorites, Chicken Brian, Chicken Marsala, or Polo Rosso Maria, and you can take home our made-from-scratch lasagna. For tomorrow night's dinner, free? Wow. Hurry into Carrabba's today and get a free homemade lasagna for tomorrow, now through January 29th. Wow. Carrabba's, Italian worth talking about. At Carrabba's Italian Grill, folks always seem to be saying, Wow! Especially now, because you can take home our delicious made-from-scratch lasagna, layered pasta with meat sauce, creamy ricotta, and mozzarella cheese, absolutely free. Homemade lasagna? For free? Wow! Order one of your Carrabba's favorites, Chicken Brian, Chicken Marsala, or Polo Rosso Maria, and you can take home our made-from-scratch lasagna for tomorrow night's dinner, free? Wow! Hurry into Carrabba's today and get a free homemade lasagna for tomorrow, now through January 29th. Wow! Carrabba's, Italian work. Worth talking about.